You got it. You got it. <clears throat> Morning, guys. How are you? In 1977, father and son duo Frank and Donald Smith of Orlando, Florida, filed for patent US 4022227A. They had in their possession an invention, an idea that would revolutionize life for the common man. Any guesses? Isaiah, go back. Do you spoil it? Cats out of the bag. Isaiah, do you want to show the illustration that? Just take a second to soak this in. This is, they actually filed for a patent with this drawing. So I want to get this as a tattoo, and I was wondering if anyone else wanted to join me. Uh, Frank and Don had come up with the method, sorry, allow me to correct myself, the method of concealing partial baldness. So for those of you taking notes, all it takes is a bit of hairspray, some time, zero shame, a lack of people who will speak truth into your life, and depending on the size of your bald spot, approximately three to four inches of hair. The good news, though, is that no hair plugs are needed. You don't have to order any keeps online or anything like that. You just go with this. It's incredible. Um, you may not be on your way to baldness, but here's the deal. We as human beings alive in 2023 are consistently bombarded by ideas like this one. Here are six easy steps to hide who you really are. Be it with products, experiences, causes, ideologies, Instagram filters, or what have you, algorithms and advertisements lure us away from the reality and beauty of our own everyday, ordinary lives. Essentially, we're told who we are, when we are, and where we are is not enough. And it works. I mean, how often have you heard from your friend's lips after some time on social media, something along these lines? I feel like I'm not doing enough. I see these other people have already reorganized and color coordinated their pantries by 6 a.m. on Monday mornings, after they've run a 5K and after they've taken their kids to mommy and baby yoga, I've done nothing. So-and-so went on vacation to Italy again, and I've never even left Canada. I've only been to Muskoka Woods once. Nice. On a more personal note, like how many people are at their church? How many staff? Are you kidding me? What the heck are we doing here? It's a slippery slope, a tale as old as time. I have to grasp and grab for a better life as the one I've been given isn't as good as theirs. Remember Eve in the garden? I wish I had their job. I wish I had their figure. I wish I had their parents. I wish I had their luscious hair, John Burnett. I wish I lived on the ocean. You get the picture, right? We all, we all experience this. We very often are invited to reject our own stories, who we are, when we are, and where we are. But what if, what if we're missing something here? What if the good news of the arrival of God's kingdom has, has something to say to us right here, right now in this very room? 
What if who Jesus is and what Jesus did has something to say about not only who we are, when we are, and where we are, but something about how we are that could lead us to embrace rather than reject our story? And this is what I sensed as I was studying this week what God has for us this morning. What would it look like if you learned to embrace your story? And so with that in mind, let me just briefly remind us that at Anchor Point, we believe that the Word of God reveals the story of reality, the way things really are. So as we turn to the scriptures again this morning, I wanted to just remind us um, through the words of Paul to his little buddy Timothy. He says this, All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. Would you guys bow your heads with me as we just pray to start this morning? And if you're comfortable, just encourage you to open your hands, just a posture of receiving, welcoming God's presence. So Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we come before you now to read and to be read by your word. We invite you and welcome your presence to come and fill this place. Come, Holy Spirit. Come and help us notice. Come and help us celebrate. Come and help us wonder at the good news that Jesus Christ was born, that he lived and that he died and that he rose again, that he is Emmanuel, God with us. May we know you as you really are, and may we know ourselves as we really are. In the name of Jesus, we ask these things. And everybody said, Amen. Okay, let's start here with John the Baptist. So the last six weeks, we've uh, taken some time to set the scene for the beginning of Jesus's public ministry. And if you haven't listened or if you're interested, you can listen back on the podcast and you'll kind of be, you'll be caught up to date. But today we pick up the story in Matthew chapter three. And Matthew, I don't know if you guys have noticed, he skipped ahead some time. About 25 years have passed from our last bit of narrative when we were reading about Joseph taking his family to Nazareth. And today's text, as we're introduced to this pretty weird dude named John the Baptist out there in the Judean desert. So I wanted to just begin simply this morning. Who is John? So John is uh, Jesus's cousin. He was born to Elizabeth and Zechariah in their old age. And John's dad, his father, Zechariah, was a priest in the temple in Jerusalem. And how things worked then is that the sons of the priests would themselves one day continue in their father's footsteps as priests in the temple. But we read in the account of John's birth that his father prophesied a different story over his son. So if you guys have your Bibles, which hopefully some of you do, let's just flip over briefly to the Gospel of Luke. And I'll just read you what uh, Zechariah prophesied over his son. So chapter 1, verses 76 to 79. So Zechariah, the priest, is prophesying this over his son, John. And you, my little son, will be called the prophet of the Most High. Because you will prepare the way for the Lord, you will tell his people how to find salvation through forgiveness of their sins. Because of God's tender mercy, the morning light from heaven is about to break upon us, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, and to guide us to the path of peace. Prophesy over your kids, dads. John was a transitional figure in the story of God. So he had one foot in the Old Covenant and one foot in the New Covenant. Remember, Israel, Josh was just talking about this, has, had been living through a 450-year-old, approximately, silence of, in the prophetic realm. Like, God wasn't speaking. 
And so John's life in many ways reflected the lives of the prophets in the Old Testament, not just in his clothes, but in many other ways as well. So prophets were people who heard from God and spoke the message of God to the people of God. And so uh, even the interesting and unique way that John dressed was a callback to the prophet Elijah. This isn't, only, this isn't the only correlation to, to Elijah. John also reflects the prophet in his solitary life, his sudden appearance, his uncompromising message, and his eventual clash with the king and his wife, which we'll read about later on in the Gospel of Matthew. So after living his formative years in the wilderness, John raises his voice as the one crying in the wilderness to prepare the way for the coming Messiah. John is the voice in the wilderness, a prophet like the prophets of old, that was prophesied in Isaiah chapter 40, which I think someone else already read this morning. Listen, it's the voice of someone shouting, clear the way through the wilderness for the Lord, make a straight highway through the wasteland for our God. Now, we don't read of John's internal dialogue here, but I would imagine that there were some days out there when the camel hair he was wearing was maybe a bit uncomfortable. And that locust just didn't taste quite as good as they used to. But, and maybe he would begin to wonder what life in the temple would have been like. But what we read here is that John embraced his story. And he began from that place to live out his message. So instead of a priest in the line of priest, John is the voice crying out in the wilderness. And could you imagine this? This is what Jesus said about John. I tell you the truth of all who have ever lived, no one is greater than John the Baptist. He has broken the prophetic silence. He is preparing the way for the Messiah. And we read here that people are responding. People are coming out to the wilderness from the city, from Jerusalem, and from all Judea to hear God speak again, which raises the question, what was God's message through this voice in the wilderness? We read this. John has a pretty hard message. He says, repent of your sins and turn to God for the kingdom of heaven is near. Now, repentance is one of those words that may rub you the wrong way. Perhaps images of, of like billboards on the highway with eternal damnation and fire and brimstone threatened, like really bad fonts. <laughs> Perhaps you went to see heaven's gates and hell's flames as a teenager. We can talk after we have a support group. Perhaps angry street preachers yelling through a megaphone in Young and Dundas Square in Toronto. But here's the truth, guys. The message of repentance is really a message of good news. It's a message of good news of great joy for all people. It's a message for those who are searching for God. It is a message for those who have rejected God. And it is a message that we as disciples of Jesus will need to engage and embrace continually for transformation to really take place in our everyday ordinary lives. Repentance is the inescapable beginning. Dallas Willard one of our favorites around here, he says this, Repentance is not beating your head on the floor or feeling bad about your sins. It's to rethink your thinking so as to change the way you've been thinking and acting. We repent in light of the gospel of Jesus. The Greek word is metaneo, which means to change one's mind, to feel remorse, to repent, or to be converted. So essentially John's saying this, Hey guys, rethink your thinking and turn to God. Why? Why do we need to do this? We've been talking over the last few years about this very idea through the image of two triangles. And so we see here, it's okay, Isaiah. We got two triangles here. The inverted triangle, the one on the left here, has at its center the self. When we live with the self as God, we end up in a state of isolation, 
a state of disintegration and a state of stagnation. What sin does when we live with ourselves as the center, it distorts and it disrupts and it disconnects us. Our picture of God, our picture of one another, our picture of ourselves becomes so skewed and wonky. And this is because essentially what we're doing is we're living out our own definition of good and evil. And the decisions and the life we live out of this place with us at the center doesn't get us anywhere good. Anyone else experience this? Your way of being human in the world just isn't working, my friend. Then if we're careful and if we're listening and we're paying attention, like Jess was reminding us, even throughout our weeks, we hear this call back from God, this nudge, this call of repentance to rethink our thinking and to reorient our lives around God instead. So if and when God becomes the center around which we orient our lives, we are brought into intimacy, transformation, and mission. And this is the call of John. Rethink your thinking and turn to God. And this, of course, is the same message that Jesus will announce and that the 12 will preach on their missionary journey throughout Israel. And it harkens back to the Old Testament where the prophets would call the people of Israel back into right relationship with God. One that must go beyond religious observance and down deeper into every single tiny, every single tiny iota part aspect of your life. The call to live all of life in light of this announcement. Rethink your thinking and turn to God because the king, the one who knows God fully and completely, the one who knows how to embody what God wants done in the way he wants it done, he's coming. And he wants to teach you how to be human. We uh, in the Wolf House, we love having people over for dinner. And it's... <laughs> um, we do. It's, it's always been a part of our kids' lives. And when we have people over, we have a semi-normal way of getting things ready. I just start yelling at everyone. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But... Um, we, we, we do our best to kind of tidy up our main living space. So at, at any given point, there's going to be one sock that has no match. There's going to be old cups. There's going to be like dog toys now that we have a dog. All kinds of stuff needs to be tidied up. And as you know, um, unless you're kind of staying on top of it, it's, it very easily can become out of hand. Anyone else experience this with children? If you're a human, um, you have to put the random puzzle pieces back in the box, put your random single sock back in the drawer, put the dishes in the sink. So most times the kids will rally, sometimes not, and help Jess and I tidy up quickly. But their favorite job, especially the younger two, is to announce when our guests have arrived. They herald the good news that they, whoever they is, are finally here. So in a much deeper and profound way, this is what John is doing. To paraphrase, hey guys, you have to think differently. The kingdom is here. The king is here. Get your lives in order. You are flying upside down. The place where what God wants done is done is breaking in right here, right now. Come this way. Turn away from living for your own kingdom and come live with your whole heart, soul, mind, and strength with God in his kingdom. Come and learn a new way to be human. But John and Jesus and the prophets and the apostles were talking about something much deeper than organizing the furniture in your living room or dusting off the top of your piano before your friends come over for pizza. The message of repentance that we want to respond to is one that will categorically change not only how we think, but how we live and move and have our being. And this is illustrated in John's interaction with the Sadducees and the Pharisees. So Matthew reintroduces us to the religious leaders of Jesus' day. They've come out to the, of, to the wilderness to hear, who, what, what does John the Baptist is on about? What's he doing over here? 
So both the Pharisees and the Sadducees, who could never really agree on anything else, decide to go out and just investigate this guy. And they seem to have some ulterior motives. So either they've come to ingratiate themselves with the crowds who have been drawn by John, or to poke holes in this prophetic figure who is outside their circle and is attracting such a large following. So if you guys have your Bibles, let's go back to Matthew chapter 3, and we'll pick it up in verse 7. And this is talking about John. So when he saw many Pharisees and Sadducees coming to watch him baptize, he denounced them. You brood of snakes, he exclaimed. Who warned you to flee the coming wrath? Prove by the way you live that you have repented of your sins and turned to God. Don't just say to each other, we're safe, for we are descendants of Abraham. That means nothing. For I tell you, God can create children of Abraham from these very stones. Even now the axe of God's judgment is poised, ready to sever the roots of the trees. Yes, every tree that does not produce good fruit will be chopped down and thrown into the fire. This line, I don't know if it jumped out to you, it jumped out to me. Prove by the way you live that you have repented of your sins and turned to God. One more time. Prove by the way you live that you have repented of your sins and turned to God. So here, it's, it's good to be clear that John isn't seeking to ridicule these religious leaders, but to call them back to who they are. Just kind of is what Jess was getting at this morning. Remember who you are. Remember your story. You've let it go. These leaders were given the responsibility to live as examples for the people of God. They of all people should be honestly and openly preparing their hearts for the arrival of the coming Messiah. They should be ready to receive kingdom life, but instead John is saying they will receive judgment. The point is that repentance must be validated as real through the fruit one bears in their life. The fruit of the Spirit, not just only watching Christian movies. Love of your enemy, not just circling the wagons and forgetting those around us. Christ-likeness in every nook and cranny of your everyday normal life. Talk is cheap. Hypocrisy is real. And it's not just contained to the Pharisees and the Sadducees. It's alive and well in the church today. You know this, and I know this. And I have a couple thoughts. Embracing the vulnerable and broken parts of ourselves is not easy. And so we reject parts of our story. We label parts of ourselves as unlovable or unforgivable. We lock away dreams or hopes that seem too far out of reach. We cloak our selfish ambition in religious language. We hide, we conceal, and we cover up. And this leads to what we describe here as disintegration. So we have a work self. We have a church self, we have a home self, we have an out with old friends self, we have a with my extended family self, and that list could go on and on and on. And what we do is we end up hiding bits and pieces of ourselves, hiding bits and pieces of what's really going on inside of us in the different closets and basements in each of these versions of ourselves. But here's the good news. The kingdom announcement, the kingdom arrival, addresses every aspect of your humanity and your life right here, right now on this planet. Or put another way, repentance repentance calls to the whole person. The person we really actually are, not who we think others want us to be. When we can be honest and show up as who we are, when we are, and where we are, true repentance and transformation can begin. Then and only then will how we live begin to bear real lasting fruit. 
there will, be a, there will begin to be a seamless connection from what we say we believe and how we actually live our lives. There will be transformation. And what was once disconnected and disintegrated will begin to be made whole in all of life. Sounds appealing, eh? John is one who has embraced his story and is living it out with integrity and with humility. How John is living out his story is actually bearing fruit. Not only has he embraced his story, he has also embraced and embodied his message. He himself is practicing what he's preaching. His time in the wilderness, his being his message, led to the powerful ability to voice his message. Let's continue reading in verse 11. I baptize with water those who repent of their sins and turn to God. But someone who is coming soon, who is greater than I am, so much greater that I'm not worthy even to be his slave and carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. He is ready to separate the chaff from the wheat with his winnowing fork. Then he will clean up the threshing area, gathering the wheat into his barn, but burning the chaff with never-ending fire. Let's continue on into verse 13. Then Jesus went from Galilee to the Jordan River to be baptized by John. But John tried to talk him out of it. I, I am the one who needs to be baptized by you, he said. So why are you coming to me? But Jesus said, it should be done, for we must carry out all that God requires. So John agreed to baptize him. After his baptism, as Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens were opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my dearly loved Son, who brings me great joy. What we've just read here is one of the most beautiful pictures of the humility of God and what embracing your story can do in the world, in the real world, in real time, and in real space. He's here. The one whose arrival John had been announcing has arrived in the most humble way possible. From the insignificant farming region of Galilee, on his own, Jesus, the Son of God, the Messiah, the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. We see Jesus embracing his story as the one who would save Israel from their sins, God with us, the one who would reunite heaven and earth and restore blessing to all the nations, standing in line with sons and daughters, with mothers and fathers, with crying toddlers and old ladies, with merchants and with liars. The king of kings waited to be baptized by his cousin. One commentator puts it this way. Jesus might well have been up there in front standing with John and calling on sinners to repent. Instead, he was down there with the sinners, affirming his solidarity with them, making himself one with them in the process of the salvation that he would in due course accomplish. This week, my brother sent me a video of this woman who had recently been diagnosed with some sort of cancer. And uh, she was at the beginning of her chemotherapy, so she goes to the hairdresser, and you see this interaction where it's like a camera in the, in the hair salon or whatever. And she's slowly getting her hair shaved, and like bit by bit, you just see her crying, just kind of coming to terms with her story. And it's really moving. And as, as the guy is, is like shaving this woman's head, throughout the time, he's kind of giving her a hug and just consoling her. And she's just weeping at the end. And then you see him take the buzzer and he just like buzzes his own hair off. And that's what Jesus does. I mean, that's a pale comparison. But Jesus, the God-man, he begins his ministry identifying and establishing solidarity with humanity. 
Jesus, the sinless one, identifies himself completely and fully with us, broken, sinful. Willingly, lovingly, totally, completely, Jesus steps in. John the baptized, John the Baptist baptized Jesus, but not before we tried to talk him out of it. John realized who he was and who Jesus was. And in the Gospel of John, we read that John said that Jesus must increase and I must decrease. He got it. Knowing who we aren't can sometimes be as freeing as knowing who we are. So John repeatedly confessed that I I am not the Messiah. I'm merely the one who is preparing the way. So content and humble, he learned to embrace his story. You could say it this way. I am the voice and Jesus is the word. And this was more than enough for John. As John baptizes Jesus, we read that heaven was opened up, that God himself is opening up communication. The gates of heaven are opening to point to something earth-shattering. Essentially, it's as if he's saying, hey, pay attention. Then we read about the Spirit coming and settling on Jesus. This is the anointing of the Messiah, the King of kings, and the commissioning of God's righteous servant for the work that he will now carry out in the presence and power of the Spirit. He is anointed to carry out his public messianic ministry. And finally, a voice from heaven speaks, giving a pronouncement of both the identity and the nature of Jesus. There are two verses in the Old Testament that are echoed here in this Trinitarian interchange. Psalm 2, verse 7, which reads, The king proclaims the Lord's decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son. In this, Jesus is identified as the Son. The voice is the voice of the Father. And at the heart of their eternal relationship, we read and discover is eternal love. This is a nod to the eternal loving relationship of Father, Son, and Spirit, the Trinity, the very center of all reality. In Isaiah 42.1, Look at my servant, whom I strengthen. He is my chosen one who pleases me. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring justice to the nations. This is an announcement that he is the suffering servant whose mission is to bring salvation to the nations through his suffering and dying in our place. He is the divine son and the suffering servant. What we will read and learn and hopefully experience in the coming years is all tied up in Jesus fully embracing his story for the sake of the world. So in closing, guys, I believe that today, right here, right now, God wants to help us embrace our stories, specifically the parts that are less than ideal, the parts that we reject, the parts that if we could, we'd change, the parts that are unbecoming, the parts that we'd rather cover up. How do we do this? Well, I would like to suggest to you, it it all ties into what we just read, actually, about the baptism of Jesus. In my opinion, the most profound mystery of the gospel of Jesus is the reality of union with Christ. What I mean by this is that when Jesus died, you died. When Jesus was raised, you were raised. And when Jesus ascended to sit at the right hand of the Father, he took you with him. In short, what is true of Jesus is now true of you. This is what Jesus taught. This is what Paul taught. This is what the New Testament affirms. And this is what the church throughout its existence has affirmed. Union with Christ. So if this is true, then what was pronounced over Jesus at his baptism is pronounced over you in Jesus. Behold my beloved daughter in whom I am well pleased. Behold my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. 
The truth is that God knows you. He created you. He designed you. He knew who you would be, when you would be, and where you would be from before the foundations of the earth were even laid. Which means he knows the parts of you that are unlovely, the parts of you that are unbecoming, the parts of you that are unsatisfied, and the parts of you that are less than ideal. And he still loves you. You know how you're going to stop coveting your friend's life? You know how you're going to start enjoying living in Alliston? Talking to myself here. You know how you're going to get over your pornography addiction? You know how you're going to start seeing your neighbors differently? You know how you're going to be a better employee? You know how you're going to learn to enjoy your spouse again? You know how you're going to stop drinking too much? You know how you're going to quit lying about your success? By hearing the voice of the Father declare over you that you are loved. That you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. That you are my beloved daughter in whom I am well pleased. By experiencing the full embrace of Christ, by bringing all of your story into his story, or in the words of the of Song of Solomon, that yes, you are dark, but you are lovely. That there is absolutely nothing that, could, that you could do to make God love you less. And equally, there is absolutely nothing that you could make, do to make God love you more. The same words are pronounced over you. Behold, my beloved daughter in whom I am well pleased. Behold, my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. God loves us just the way we are, but he loves us too much to leave us that way. And when we discover that this, this in real and tangible ways, how we live will be radically transformed. We won't feel the need to hide. There will be less disintegration and more integrity as we are embraced by the mercy and grace of God. This message will become embodied in us as his people. We will learn to live out this message of the transform transformative love of God in our everyday ordinary lives. Right? My prayer for us this morning is that we will no longer cover up and hide. That we will embrace that we are accepted. That we will embrace that we are loved. That we will embrace that Christ is with us. And that we will embrace his story of forgiveness and grace. Rethink your thinking and turn to God. And so we're going to do that together this morning as we take communion. Um, and so I just want to invite you guys to come up whenever you feel led. And this is a way that we're, we're choosing to be embraced by the story of God. We're, 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 we're submitting our story. We're submitting our brokenness, our dreams, our hopes, our everything back to God in a fresh way. And we're becoming one with him even as we experience his body and his blood broken for us and shed for us. So if, if and when you want to partake of this this morning, come on up. And uh, Kevin is going to lead us in prayer in closing with that. So. I would invite you guys to come.